This episode may contain themes that are unsettling for some listeners and includes dialogue that is inappropriate for children under 14. Listener discretion is strongly advised. I'm Alyssa and I'm Brooke and this is for God's sake don't drink the Jones juice welcome to episode 46 hello guys hello hello so as this episode is being released today I am actually not even in Georgia (laughs) now we are recording uh this is a pre-recorded episode so it's actually what is today's date we are recording on August 29th, but this episode will come out like, I don't know, two Tuesdays from now, but uh, I'll be in Seattle. So this is pre-recorded. Not really a whole lot to catch up on as of right now, because we pretty much filled you in when we just recorded episode 45. Um, Anything you'd like to say, Alyssa? I would like to say that all of our episodes are pre-recorded, but this one is well, like pre-pre-recorded. Yeah. I mean, yeah pre-pre-recorded other than that i don't have anything to say i'll i will when this episode comes out i will have just gotten home from pcb so whoop whoop both going out of town so yeah neither of us will be in town to record next sunday so that's why we're doing two this sunday it's pretty great that that worked out that way that way we didn't have two sundays in a row you know what wasn't pretty great what the fact that i just started researching last night (laughs) and i had to do two full episodes of research and i wanted to kill myself yeah, I did mine Friday and Saturday. I did one Friday and one Saturday. Well, I s- actually, I started working on episode 45, like, several days ago, but I only had, like, a paragraph, and I just, like, got stumped and, like, bleh. And then I literally did this episode I'm about to cover, um, this story I'm about to cover today. So, I actually went to bed really early last night. Well, not really early, but I was just, like, I started doing this one, and I was, like, I just can't. I can't. So, like, on the way to church and on the way home, I pretty much did all of this. That's how I felt when I did um, Ed Gein. I started on it, like, in the morning. Mm -hmm. And then, I I don't know if you're this way, but when I first start researching, it overwhelms me. Yeah. Because I don't know how to... organize it at first and then like i know that once i start typing and getting everything you know in there it just kind of comes naturally but the thought of like instantly starting it out it's kind of difficult absolutely yeah i don't have an issue so much starting it out Mm -hmm. but it's like i like get a paragraph in and i'm like what the fuck do i do now (laughs) (laughs) i'm the opposite once i get that first paragraph in it's just smooth sailing it's just starting it that trying to find what you want to cover plus things in articles aren't always in the order that you want them to be in Mm -hmm. on your um in your research so you kind of have to you know article hop and you know skim through articles to find what you're looking for and absolutely oh god this is why i could never really be in college because they <laughs> the do attention like, span does not last that long that but also i mean they have to write like 15 page essays sometimes could you imagine writing F 15 that. pages no i mean i know sometimes you will literally do 10 pages i don't know what mine would be because i typed them on the computer she just 
<clears throat> types them. Or she oh, used... I type and print. Alyssa reads directly from the computer. Right. So I don't know how many pages mine would be, but. I'm old school. I don't know. Something about reading off the computer like throws me off and it makes my speech um, issue worse. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she's always printed and I've always read off a computer or my iPad. So, mm-hmm. but yeah, so we don't really have much to talk about because we already talked about everything. I talked about Game of Thrones for forever. <laughs> Yeah. So if you haven't listened to 45, go back, listen to 45. But here we are again, 46, same day. Same day. Well, ready? I'm ready. So I've got a pretty interesting one today. It's something out of the box for me, which I feel like I've done a few of those lately, but I've been trying to just, well, I wouldn't say it's necessarily out of the box because it is another unsolved murder and that's my (laughs) specialty, but it's a little different. So I'm hoping you haven't heard of this one because I had not heard of it. And it kind of was just one of those things that popped up. And I was like, ooh, wow. Ooh, ooh. Does it take place in Texas? It does not. Oh, surprise. There's something different right there. I know, right? <laughs> so here we are with another unsolved murder because that's just what I do. But uh, today I will be talking about the unsolved murder of the town bully, Ken God. McElroy. That's really sad for our listeners because mine's also unsolved. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, guys. (laughs) Sorry. Uh, Really quick, I'm going to cite my sources. Wikipedia, filmdaily.co, patch.com, and talkmurderwithme.com. You said this guy is the bully? A bully? He's the town bully. And he went missing? And he got murdered. Is this a bad thing? I'm just kidding. (laughs) Well, we'll find out, won't we? I'll let you know. Okay. Uh, Rex, I'm sorry, Ken Rex McElroy was born in Kansas on June 1st, 1934. He was the 15th of 16 children born to a poor farming couple named Tony and Maybelle McElroy. I have a Maybelle in my story, too. Oh, weird. Did you notice on our last one? No, I'm sorry. No, I noticed there is a name that was in your last one that's in this one. Really? Which one? one? It's Henry. Oh. You had a Henry. I also have an Augustus in my story this week, too. Oh, wow. (laughs) So, uh, Tony and Maybelle had moved between Kansas and the Ozarks before they finally settled outside of Skidmore, Missouri, which was a small town of only 437 people. Wow, that's tiny. Tiny town. So old Ken over here dropped out of school at the age of 15 when he was in the eighth grade. And he was illiterate, clearly did not have very much of an education. Also, you're 15 when you're a freshman, right? I feel like he probably failed (laughs) being, I mean, he was illiterate. Wait, how do you make it to eighth grade as a person who cannot read? I I don't know, but he wasn't the most intelligent. Um, But he quickly established a local reputation as a cattle rustler, um, a small time thief and womanizer. If I was illiterate, that's what I would do too. You don't really have any other options, right? You just, um... What do you say? Wrangle cattle? A, cus- a cattle rustler. Oh, you rustle cattle. Yeah. <laughs> Not wrestle. Rustle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what yeah, I said, yeah, rustle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, he suffered a head injury as a teen when he fell from a hay wagon. This required him to have a steel plate implanted in his skull. Now, as he got older, it was rumored that Ken kept a thick roll of $100 bills in his pocket. 
And that was, I guess, from the cattle rustling. I don't know. Okay. Because he didn't really have a career that I could find. He just did, like, petty crime, basically. So what is rustling cattle? I, I believe, and I could be wrong, we might need to Google, but I think it's, like, selling and trading of, like, cattle. Look it up. It's R-U-S-T-L-E-R, cattle rustler. Um, now, Ken was a physically intimidating man. And he weighed about 270 pounds, and he stood at six foot tall. He had thick black eyebrows and bushy sideburns. He had cold blue eyes, and he was as mean as he looked. What do we got? Um, I think it's stealing cattle. Stealing? And he probably sold them, too. Yeah. There's one thing that says, um, can you still be hung in Texas for stealing cattle? <laughs> I, oh, okay. I think that's what it is. So he stole and sold them, probably. Okay. So that's how he made his money, then. It, it's, I think, more commonly known as cattle raiding. Okay. Uh, New York Times bestseller Harry McLean chronicled McElroy's life and death. Uh, McLean said he was very cunning he knew which people to pick on the weak people and he followed through on his threats just often enough to make people believe he was going to do what he said he was going to do he had a legendary status and it all got to be bigger than he was somebody would hear his name and the legend grew bigger when he got off on trial on a trial it grew even bigger it went beyond just hammering people and being mean-spirited he neutralized an entire criminal justice system. Wow. This is a bad guy. It sounds like it. You wait until I tell you what some of the crazy shit this dude did. I'm excited to know. <clears throat> in a 20-year time span, Ken was suspected of being involved in multiple felonies, including theft, burglary. That's my favorite word. <laughs> I can't believe I got it out right. Arson, child molestation, statutory rape animal cruelty and hog and cattle rustling so stealing i i guess that's a that's a very broad um he was just a criminal of all trades big mixture of felonies but get this he avoided conviction when charges were brought against him 21 times how do you do that i'll tell you okay Eyewitnesses would refuse to testify because he would allegedly bully and intimidate his targets by direct confrontation or by following them or parking outside their homes and watching them. What a freak. Kirby Gosley, a local farmer, said, Our law enforcement never went after him very hard. The son of a bitch would just as soon shoot them as anyone else. Wow. So they were probably scared, too. The whole town's scared of this stupid fuck. Right. Ken was represented in court by defense attorney Richard Jean McFadden every time. God, Richard probably thinks he's a great lawyer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> McFadden was great at getting Ken, uh, Ken McElroy out of trouble, which was no small accomplishment when McElroy was in court at least three times a year. Gotta imagine that. At that point, it's like clearly just this throw dude him in jail, doing bad stuff. Now, granted, McFadden also had a history of defending members of the mob, so he had plenty of practice keeping bad guys out of prison. So maybe he was a good lawyer. Yeah. 
Uh, Ken McElroy had 15 children with several different women. God. And even girls. So when I, I say know. women, I mean girls, too. Like young girls? Mm-hmm. Ugh, throw up. He met his last wife, Trina McLeod, when she was only 12 years old uh-uh. and in the eighth grade. No way, dude. Yes. Disgusting. He raped McLeod repeatedly, and she ended up pregnant with his child. Gross. It gets worse. Uh, I don't know if it's worse, but it's bad. Okay. So he forced her parents to agree to their marriage by burning her house down and shooting the family dog. Wow. Trina McLeod went to live with Ken and his second wife, Alice. Ken divorced Alice and married Trina in order to avoid charges of statutory rape, to which she was the only witness. So basically, he tells her parents, like, look, you guys need to agree to this so I can, you know, not have charges brought against me. And they're like, no, no, fuck you, fuck you. So he burns their house down and shoots their dog, trying, you know, just being a bully to basically make them agree to this marriage well sounds like the logical thing to do how horrifying 16 days after trina gave birth to their baby both she and alice fled to trina's mother and stepfather's house according to court records mcelroy tracked them down and brought them back with him he then returned to trina's parents home when they were away and once again Shot the family dog. Why? And burned down their house. Why? Why shoot the dog? Because he's a freaking asshat. He thinks he's above everybody. What did the dog do to him, though? He's a piece of shit. Now, based on Trina's story, Ken was indicted in June 1973 for arson, assault, and statutory rape. He was arrested, booked, and arraigned, and then released on $2,500 bail. Trina and the baby were placed in foster care at a home in Maryville, Missouri. The God, the mother was placed in foster care. That's how you know she's a child. Up, yeah. So sad. So Ken would sit outside the foster home for hours at a time just staring at it. Ew. He told the foster family that he would trade, and I quote, girl for girl to get his child back, since he knew where the foster family's biological daughter went to school and what bus route she rode. Ew. Oh, my God. Additional charges were filed against him. On July 27th, 1976, farmer Romaine Henry said that Ken McElroy shot him twice in the stomach with a shotgun after Henry confronted him for shooting weapons on Henry's property. Ken was charged with assault and intent to kill. He denied he was at the scene. As the case drug on without a court date, Henry said Ken had parked outside his home at least a hundred times. Oh my gosh. At the trial, two raccoon hunters testified at the pressure of Ken's attorney that they were with Ken, even though they probably definitely weren't. They were scared. The day of the shooting and that McElroy wasn't on Henry's property. So Henry was also forced to admit in court under questioning by McElroy's attorney, Richard uh, McFadden that he had concealed his own petty crime conviction from more than 30 years previous. Wow. Ken was acquitted. So not only is Ken a super big bag of shit and a bully, but the attorney is too. Right. (laughs) Clearly. 
It, it is insanity to me that this man just got away with this stuff. It really is insane. In 1980, Ken got into a confrontation with a grocery store clerk in a local grocery store owned by 70-year-old Ernest Bo Bowenkamp and his wife Lois, allegedly because a four-year-old McElroy child tried to steal some penny candy. Ken McElroy began stalking the Bowenkamp family and camping outside their home. What a freak. He loves that. He loves to just stand outside of people's houses. Such a freak. At one point, the sheriff said, if you have to shoot him, let him let us know, and we'll come back and get him before he starts stinking. That's what he told the family. Wow. Mm-hmm. Eventually, Ken went back to the store, threatening Bo Bowenkamp in the back of his store with a shotgun in hand. During the confrontation, McElroy shot Bowenkamp in the neck just three inches from his head. Wow. Bowenkamp survived, and McElroy was arrested and charged with attempted murder. We're talking about over a piece of candy. Penny candy. Yeah. Penny candy. Ridiculous. Ken McElroy was convicted at a trial of assault, but freed on bail pending his appeal. Immediately after being released at a post-trial hearing, McElroy went down to the D&G Tavern, which was a local bar, with a rifle in hand and made graphic threats about finishing off Bobo and Camp. Oh, this dude has, like... Nerve. Not just that, but he just doesn't know when to stop. Like, imagine being that obsessed with something. He thinks he's God. Clearly. Yeah. So this led to several bar patrons deciding to see what they could do legally to prevent Ken from harming anyone else. The city's sick of it. So Sheriff Dan Estes suggests that they form a neighborhood watch. So Ken's appeal hearing was again delayed. On the morning of July 10th, 1981, residents gathered at the Legion Hall in the center of the town with Sheriff Estes to discuss how they could protect themselves. During the meeting, Ken McElroy arrived at the D&G Tavern with Trina. As he sat drinking at the bar, word got back to the men at the Legion Hall that he was in town. Sheriff Estes instructed the group of men not to get in a direct confrontation with Ken, but instead to seriously, you know, consider forming that neighborhood watch. Estes, the sheriff, then left the bar the citizens decided that they were going to fill the bar up so basically a bunch of the citizens all came together and said we're not standing up for this shit anymore we're gonna you know you're not going to intimidate us anymore and they all decided to fill the bar well good i think yeah after mcelroy finished his drinks he purchased a six pack of beer left the bar and got into his truck the mob of citizens followed him outside Ooh, is this a vigilante story? Because someone shot at 47-year-old Ken McElroy while he was sitting in his truck with Trina. He was shot at uh, several times and hit twice, once by a center fire rifle and once by a 22 rimfire rifle. This makes it likely that there were two shooters. The fatal shot came in through the back window and blew off the back of his head. Oh, my God. He slumped over the steering wheel, dead. Poor Trina. In all, there were 46 potential witnesses to the shooting, including Trina, who escaped without injury. Good. She's probably thankful. Right. 
Not a single one of these witnesses called for an ambulance. Ambulance. Now, only Trina claimed to identify a gunman. Every other witness was either unable to name an assailant or claimed not to have seen who fired the fatal shots. They all banded together. They banded together. The DA declined to press charges. An extensive FBI investigation did not lead to any charges. One local resident later told investigators when asked what happened, he needed a killing. (laughs) Now... Just imagine being so despised that nobody gives a single shit about your murder. Dude, I can't imagine. It's like they're just like, mm, I didn't see nothing. We have nope. no idea what happened. No, no idea. I wasn't there. Didn't see it. Oh, no, he's dead. Oh, oh, that's unfortunate. Wow. Like, just yeah. nobody said a word. Like, that to me is wild. They planned that. They planned it for oh, sure. Oh, for sure. Now, the murderers, or as I would call them more like heroes, still to this day remain a secret. No one ever testified, and no one has ever been arrested or charged in connection with Ken McElroy's murder. And no weapon has ever been recovered. It's like it never happened. He just disappeared. Right. That lawyer's probably pissed, because that's probably where a lot of his income came from. Oh, for sure. So McElroy was buried at Memorial Park Cemetery in St. Joseph, Missouri. On July 9th, 1984, Trina McElroy filed a $5 million wrongful death lawsuit against the town of Skidmore, County of Nottoway, Sheriff Danny Estes, Steve Peters, who was the mayor of Skidmore, and Del Clement, who Trina accused of being the shooter, but who was never charged. The case later settled out of court by all parties for $17,600, with no one ever having admitted guilt. Honestly, though, she's been put through hell, and the legal system failed her so many times. I would have done the same thing. Sure. Yeah, I agree. That's all I've got. I know that was a short one, but I found it so fascinating and kind of incredible that that town was like, dude we're done with your ass. Like I have always been one and this may sound harsh to some of you guys listening, but I'm eye for an eye. And he raped, he assaulted, he nearly murdered Mm -hmm. so many people and ruined so many lives and just tortured and tormented this town. Yeah. And somebody said, you know what? We're sick of this shit. You're done. And goodbye right and you know what it probably saved a lot of lives by getting rid of the shit bag they tried over 20 times to get him behind bars and each time it failed so i mean at that point you got to keep your family safe you got to keep your livestock safe right i mean i just imagine like a man like i i i was discussing this case earlier with uh jared and i was like i i just i because i can I'm just shocked at how it didn't happen before then. Like, Mm -hmm. I don't know. Why was everybody so scared of him? Like, I feel like in today's time, like, he would have been taken out a long time before he was. Yeah. I mean, I would be scared of him. Yeah. Because, I mean, he was a monster who did all these horrible things. And gave no fucks. Gave no fucks, but also never got to, you know, pay for any crime he ever did. And everyone knew he was going to get rid you know, get away with it. He seemed invincible, honestly. I would have been scared, too. And I mean, that... Yeah. 
You know? I don't know. I just feel like somebody should have like banded together and like got rid of his ass before. But at least they did. And I'm sorry, but I don't feel bad for you, Kenny. Neither do I. So I mean, I thought that was really it was different. Like I said, it's outside of my element, something I wouldn't normally cover. But I found it and I was just like, hell yeah. Okay, this is different. Let's do this. That so. was insane. I've never heard of that story. I hadn't either. He's an ugly mofo, too. Really? Those pictures. <laughs> I mean, I, yeah, I think he is. I mean, 270 pounds, you know. Right. So, big brooding, just, just ugly, demon. despicable man. Yeah. Oh, God, he's probably missing teeth. That's one of those, like, hide your kids, hide your wife shit. Like, Seriously, that's a get up and move out of town yeah. type of thing. I I cannot imagine. Poor, and poor Trina. With yeah. that baby, she's got to live with that baby well, forever. And imagine, I mean, he had 15 kids. There's so much of his offspring running around out there. Yeah. Poor them. And hopefully yeah. they didn't get any of their father's shit genes. Right. Well, I wouldn't. I wouldn't. I mean, I know people typically do view the children of these monsters as like, you're they, his spawn. But yeah. I mean, honestly, they're probably all pretty okay. I mean, Ted I Bunny's so. daughter's not. Yeah, I'm murderer. Killing people, yeah. So, I don't know. That was really crazy, though. That was like chaos after chaos. Yeah. That's I all w- he did was just torment and yeah. abuse and and just what a disgusting soul. So, yeah. I know? wonder what his childhood was like. I couldn't really find much. Yeah. I just know that he came from a very poor family, dropped out of school, didn't really, you know, learn much about like how he was brought up, you know, anything really about his parents, mm-hmm. just kind of an unfortunate childhood with a lot of brothers and sisters. I think probably some of it, you know, with that many brothers and sisters, he probably was neglected. Yeah. You know, and that could have played a part in why he was shit. Maybe. Um, I don't know. Mike. I think the head injury possibly had something to do with the violence Definitely. and the temper. And yeah. So, Yeah. Definitely. I mean, I don't know about the kid thing because my papa was one of 14 and none mm. of them are serial murderers or right. rapists. Or, or, I mean, not that I know of, well, you but I doubt it. <laughs> not that I know of. Well, I don't know. I, I just I assume with that many children, it'd be hard uh, to keep tabs on all of them, <laughs> you know? Yeah. So. Uh, I don't know. I, at least he's dead and gone. Yep. So there's <laughs> that. <laughs> all right. Well, guys, stick around for part two. Welcome back, guys. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> um, so my story is also pretty short, too, so I guess you guys are just going to get a short episode this week. That's okay. Usually, I feel like Brooke and I balance each other out. Like, she'll have a long one, and I'll have a short one, and or I'll have a short one, or a long one, and she'll have a short one, but we both chose short stories this week. Mm-hmm. So I'm doing The Lost and Family Murders. Have you ever heard of it? I don't know. Possibly. Okay, it's a mystery. I mean, it's not, but it is. Okay. So, um, my sources were Wikipedia, Murderpedia, Medium.com, and Greensboro.com. All right. So, Charlie Lawson, this whole story kind of bases around him. He was born May 10th, 1886 to Augustus and Nancy Lawson. 
in my Ed Gein story, the mom was named Augustus, but in this story, the dad is named Augustus. That's so weird. I know. I like Augustus. Like, that's not a common name. No, I like the name Augustus, but it's really not <clears throat> a common name. Um, so he was born in a community called Lawsonville, which is so weird because their last name is Lawson. Yeah. Which was 10 miles away from Danbury in Stokes County. Is this Connecticut? Um, I think it's South Carolina. Oh, okay. Now there's a Greensboro, South Carolina. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to make sure because I'm pretty sure it's South Carolina. Okay. I don't know how I forgot. I thought that, that at first, but then you said Danbury. So I was thinking Connecticut. Oh, uh, okay. The Watson family murders. North Carolina. North Carolina. Okay. So, yes, North Carolina. So, he married Fanny Manring in 1911 and had eight children together. Marie, who was 17, Arthur, who was 16, William, who died at six years old in 1920 due to an illness, Carrie, who was 12, Maybell, who was seven, James, who was four, Raymond, who was two, and Mary Lou, who was four months old. You like these old stories. I do. Um, in some sources, it said that Mary Lou was three months old. Some it said four months old, but I saw four months old more than three months, so that's what I went with. Okay. Charlie's brothers, Marion and Elijah, moved to the um, Germanton area. So Charlie packed up his family and moved with them. The Lawsons worked as, or they worked on, uh, they worked as to to oh my god <laughs> they worked as tobacco farmers until they saved up enough money to buy their own farm on Brook Cove Road in 1927 in 1929 two weeks before christmas charlie lawson took his family into town to buy them new clothes for a family portrait and this was not a common thing for tobacco farmers mm -hmm. because tobacco farmers were typically poor and usually only the wealthy people could afford to do something like this. So it was just kind of an odd thing. So Christmas Day arrived and Marie was in the kitchen baking a cake for the holiday. The winter this year in 1929 was the toughest winter that they had seen in a long time which was making everything harder for everyone who lived in Rockingham and Stoke counties. Arthur had asked his dad if he could go into town to buy shotgun shells because it was tradition for him and Charlie to go rabbit hunting on Christmas Day. It wasn't just a tradition for them, it was a tradition for the entire county. Oh. His father agreed, and as soon as Arthur left, Charlie made his way to the, to the tobacco barn, where he waited for Carrie and Mabel to come into sight they were on their way to their aunt and uncle's house and as soon as charlie saw them he shot them with a 12 gauge 12 gauge shotgun oh my gosh and then bludgeoned them and then he placed their bodies inside of the barn why i don't know <laughs> i don't know after this he made his way to the house where fanny was sitting on the porch charlie shoots her and then makes his way into the house where he killed his four-month-old daughter mary lou Oh, no. Next, he went into the kitchen where Marie had just finished baking the Christmas cake and shot her as well. Wow. 
James and Raymond had heard the gunshots and attempted to hide from their father, but he found them and killed them both. Mm. Now, he shot and killed every single one of them and bludgeoned every single one of them. Jeez. Bludgeoned them after he shot them? Yes, to Ooh. make sure they were dead. Ugh. He placed pillows under Fanny, Marie, Mary Lou's, Raymond's, and James's heads, and then he crossed their arms over their chests. He then went back to the barn and did the same with his two middle daughters, but instead of placing a pillow under their heads, he placed rocks. What? Yes. He didn't have pillows, so he just put rocks under their heads. Mm. So the the sounds of the gunshots weren't alarming to neighbors because, like I said, it was common for people to rabbit hunt around this time. Mm -hmm. It wasn't until relatives decided to pay the Lawsons a visit that day to wish them a Merry Christmas did they realize that it wasn't the Lawsons rabbit hunting. The rooms in the family cabin were soaked with blood and in disarray. Neighbors and police started gathering at the Lawson house to see the horrible sight of the murders. Because, you know, people back then just flocked to that kind of thing. Yeah. I mean, even recently, like when John Wayne Gacy, Mm -hmm. when they were bringing bodies out from his house, people were just outside watching. Yeah. It's kind of one of those things like a train wreck. Like, you don't want to look, but you have to look. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. These people are going out of their way. Mm -hmm. Um, So now we have the police and neighbors and Lawson family in the yard and this is when they hear a gunshot come from the woods um so charlie had made his way into the woods with the family dogs sam and queen after slaughtering his family and washed the blood of his family off his hands in a creek footsteps around a tree indicated that he had paced for like probably hours before finally killing himself wow he was found with two incomplete notes in his pocket One of the notes said, nobody to blame, but, and the other said, troubles can cause. What? Yeah. Very odd. Yeah. So the hill to the cabin was steep and difficult to cross. So family, friends, and deputies transported the bodies by wrapping them in bedsheets and then put them onto a makeshift sled and then led them to the hearses, which were parked on the main road. Hmm. Two days after Christmas, five hearses were lined down Murphy Street where huge crowds of people were gathered to watch as the caskets were loaded for transport for the funeral at Browder Cemetery. Mary Lou was laid in her mother's arms in the same casket. The worst part of all of that is that Charlie was buried alongside his family. Oh. And I have a picture of the headstone. Wow. So the true motives behind these murders are completely unknown. Just random. Yes. Um, it was rumored that, Char- or it was said that Charlie had suffered a traumatic head injury just weeks before the murders. Mm. So, I mean, that could play a role in it. Mm-hmm. Dr. C.J. Helsebeck, 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 was the Stoke County coroner who did the autopsies on the Lawson family. Dr. Spotswood Taylor, who is the brother of Sheriff John Taylor, helped with the inquest with Helzebeck. It makes you question, like, what was their home life like? We'll know? get into that. Okay. We'll get into it. So they removed Charlie's brain for examination so that Taylor could bring it back with him to John Ho- Johns Hopkins. Jesus, it's my turn to mess up. <laughs> um, to Johns Hopkins in Baltimore. 
The initial autopsy report showed that Charlie's brain was relatively small and that a portion of the center of the brain appeared to be underdeveloped. Mm-hmm. The location of his brain is unknown, though, today. Mm. <laughs> so... According to M. Bruce Jones and Trudy J. Smith, who wrote the book White Christmas, Bloody Christmas, um, they interviewed people who knew the Lawsons and had heard of a rumor involving Marie and Charlie having an incestuous relationship and that she was pregnant with Charlie's baby. The authors had also received a call from a woman who remained anonymous and said that she had gone on a tour of the Lawson's house shortly after the after their deaths, and the tour guide told her the story about the incestuous relationship, where he recounted it as fact. So this was just days after the murders. <sighs> this tour guide was saying that this was what happened. <clears throat> Stella Lawson called the authors and told them that she knew why Charlie killed the family. She said that at the funeral, she overheard Fanny's sister-in-law and aunts, which included included Stella's mother, Jetty Lawson, Mm -hmm. talking about how Fanny had confided in them about her concern for Charlie and Marie. In the book, The Meaning of Our Tears, Marie Lawson's friend, Ella May, claims that weeks before the murders, Marie had confided with her that she was pregnant with Charlie's baby. Mm. Ella May, Ella May also claimed that Fanny and Charlie knew about this. So that's pretty effed up if it's true. Yeah. But yeah. I mean, also the mom probably scared of her husband. Yeah. I mean, I feel like if somebody is capable of doing something like this, then... They're capable of anything. Scaring people to keep their mouth shut and... I mean, this was so long ago. I mean, that that kind of reputation would be bad for the family. Yeah. But it seems like a lot of people knew about it. Um, a close friend and neighbor to the Lawsons, Hill Hampton, was interviewed. He said that he knew there was a serious problem within the family, but refused to say what it was because it was too personal to talk about. Hmm. But there are not any autopsy reports to support the claim that Marie was pregnant. But I feel like that would be easy to, you know, yeah. uh, hide. Yeah. Or, you know, they could feel bad for her and just not want that to get out. Mm-hmm. Who knows? So not long after the murders, Charlie's brother Marion Lawson opened the home as a tourist attraction. The cake that Marie had baked on that tragic day was displayed on the tour. Mm. Tourists kept taking pieces of raisins from the cake as souvenirs, so a glass case was placed (laughs) over the cake so that wouldn't happen anymore. That's weird. Yeah. So if his brother, Marion Lawson, was the tour guide just, you know, shortly after the murders, I would happen to think that that anonymous lady was told by him that this was what was going on, mm-hmm. which makes me feel like it's more believable mm-hmm. that there was an incestuous relationship going on. And by incestuous, I mean, you know, probably rape. Mm-hmm. And um, the family portrait, which we will post on Instagram and Facebook and whatnot, if you look at her face, she just looks broken. Yeah, like very just 
uncomfortable Mm -hmm. in the situation and just like she's miserable pretty much yeah i mean they all kind of look that way because it's like a black and white photo and it's from back then but she especially looks just hollow and it's really sad so i just think that it was probably truth probably truth to it i don't know but i don't know why he would murder his entire family it would make more sense to me that he would murder just her i mean not that that makes sense but just from true crime cases in general yeah i don't know i kind of think it might be more of you know a lot of family annihilations happen when families go on hard times yeah especially financially yeah and if this winter was really terrible Mm -hmm. you know maybe he felt like a failure maybe he felt like you know like he was killing the stress off of him because there's not too much information about anything other than yeah it definitely makes you wonder what was going on i mean it could have been that that was really going on between him and the girl and he was just trying to save the family's image and said gotta do away with everybody right i don't know well the only person he didn't kill was arthur because he was gone okay so um a lot of reports say that they think that charlie let him go because when you look at the picture, Arthur, only being 16, towered over his father. Mm. So he thought that, you know, Arthur could stop him. Yeah. So that kind of makes me wonder if this was even about her being pregnant, because I feel like if he was going to get rid of the evidence or whatever, he would kill all of them. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So it just doesn't make sense to me. Yeah. Mm, I don't know. Mm. Very, very strange, but. I mean, that's really all that there is on this case Gosh. from what I could find. I read a lot of articles. Yeah. Yeah. I'd be really interested to know some more background, you know? Yeah. And there really just wasn't. I like typed in Charlie Lawson's um, childhood and I typed in there. there's just nothing. Hmm. And I think this goes along with. Um, that's one of those. It's so frustrating. It's like, ah. And you know, it, yeah. like, it'll never, no one will ever know. No one will ever know, no, yeah. It's so f- long ago now that it's just, like, a piece of history that will always go unanswered. I think we always miss a lot of background evidence or background information about people like Charlie Lawson and your guy. Mm-hmm. What was his name again? Uh, da, 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 Ken McElroy. Yeah, because they were, they died, so it's not like they could be interviewed about their childhood and stuff because most of what we know about serial killers and murderers is from you know their prison interviews and right and their psychological testings and but we don't have that with charlie lawson yeah or ken so makes sense yeah so um that's all i have (laughs) (laughs) well that's very very interesting sorry that this episode is a lot shorter than usual guys well, that's okay. We'll make up for it next week. I promise. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, you guys can join our Facebook at For God's Sake Don't Drink the Jones Juice. You can follow our Instagram and TikTok at Don't Drink the Jones Juice. You can buy our merch at storefrontier.com slash Don't Drink the Jones Juice. You can send your own uh, true crime and personal paranormal stories <laughs> to our email at don't drink the jones juice at gmail.com and hopefully it will be read on an episode 
of our listener juice. Mm-hmm. And I think that's it. Yeah. That's it. All right. For God's sake. Don't drink the James juice.